Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. I'm going to be reading the the text scripture uh, from Hebrews, the first 10 verses of chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 1 through 10. You can follow along on the screen or your Bibles. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. God's Word says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to you. Do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God. It's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us as this book tells us. Uh, You've spoken to us by your word we also thank you, Father, that you've spoken us to, to us in these days through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, what a wonderful message you have spoken to us. We thank you so much, uh, Lord, for, uh, for your willingness to love us so much that you would send your precious Son, the Lord Jesus, fully God, fully human. And we celebrate that special time during this season of the year, the Incarnation, We thank you for for this miracle uh, that is beyond our understanding or imagination, but we thank you that it's true, and we thank you that by your grace we have heard this wonderful good news of the gospel. And again, as we think today about missions and about our missionaries and about our responsibility, we are so grateful that we've heard this news, uh, Lord, but we also feel the great weight of responsibility of taking this good news to others. So, Father, as we think about the message of Christmas, the message of the incarnation, the message of the gospel, speak to us today in a new and a fresh way to uh, help us, Lord, to see in a new way, Lord, the, the full scope of what this means for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we sang this morning, that you... Uh, that you became man. Thank you so much that God is with us, Emmanuel, 
Thank you so much that you have come so that we might draw near to God by your sacrifice on the cross for us. Thank you again that you rose from the grave. Thank you that you're alive. And thank you for the, uh, of all the wonderful uh, realities of Isaiah 9 as we read this morning of who you are. And so, Father, we pray this morning we will celebrate you in truth and in spirit. Lord, we, uh, we pray that every believer's heart will be encouraged and strengthened. But, Father, we also pray for unbelievers uh, who are amongst us this morning that you will speak to their hearts this morning, the power of the gospel. We know that you tell us that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. So, God, we ask this morning you'll do your, your work, uh, your miraculous work of, of bringing the gospel to the hearts of people this morning in our midst, that they will believe, that you will turn their hearts from sin and to Christ, and this will be for them uh, the greatest day of all, for all eternity in their lives when they might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we rejoice in anticipating what you're going to do. Speak this morning in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Every year at this time, we, we enjoy seeing um, a new and afresh the Christmas story again uh, from the perspective of the, the key uh, players, if you will, the participants in Scripture. Uh, we love to see the Christmas story uh, from Mary's perspective, from Joseph's perspective, from the shepherd's perspective, uh, and again, later on from uh, the wise men who were invited to come. Uh, and those are wonderful uh, reminders of, of the great miracle that has taken place in Christmas through the incarnation. But did you, uh, did you know that the Bible gives us the perspective of the one who is the who is the key, has the key role, uh, and that, of course, is the Lord Jesus himself. And we find that in this Hebrews passage that we read to you, as we are, by the way, to those who are here for your first time, we're preaching through uh, the book of Hebrews, and uh, we have just come to the passage this morning that uh, are, uh, is showing us uh, the incarnation, uh, the coming, the Christmas uh, experience, if you will, from the perspective of the Lord Jesus. This is a conversation that takes place between Jesus and the Father as he's preparing to come. We don't know exactly when in eternity past this took place, uh, but we know it did. In reality, these words are taken from Psalm 40, and as, and as is true, of much of the um, Old Testament, the, the words are prophetic. They are in the Psalms. We see a number of what we call messianic psalms, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and in this case, spoken through David in Psalm 40. But there were things in that psalm, as in other psalms, that David could not have fulfilled, uh, and so in that sense, they were prophetic. And we see them actually to be the words of the Lord Jesus. Uh, they are taken from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation. And again, they are the words of Jesus. So, so I want us to see as we think about this passage together in our celebration, four truths, if you will, about how Jesus came just as he said. Jesus came and fulfilled this truth, this prophecy spoken from his own mouth uh, through, uh, again, David, Jesus came just as he said. So see four things with me this morning about how Jesus came just as he said. First of all, Jesus came because only he can take away sin. 
We see that here in these first uh, 10 verses, or excuse me, the first uh, six verses specifically. The writer restates the inadequacy, if you will, as we've seen already in our study of Hebrews, the inadequacy of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, if you will, the Old Covenant sacrifices, their inadequacy, their inability. They did fulfill their purpose, as we have seen. They fulfilled their purpose of, of, of being a shadow, a picture, an outline, so to speak, if you will, of the one who was to come and who was to completely fulfill these Old Testament sacrifices. And, uh, and yet, they were the one, they were pointing to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God, the, one, the only one who could fulfill uh, the requirement and the need who would be able to take away our sin. Notice uh, again, uh, again, that, that I reminded you, remind you today that the purpose of those sacrifices were to point to Jesus, but also, and as we've seen this again and again in Hebrews, those many, many sacrifices from the Old Testament, those goats and bulls and lambs that were offered up, their blood reminded the people and remind us today of the holiness of God, the holiness of God, and the seriousness of sin. They continued to proclaim that to us. They were proclaiming that to, uh, to the Old Testament saints as they would go week after week. But there were several other things that they could not do. They could not do. First of all, they could not give the worshiper a right standing. And again, when he, when he talks about the fact that they, they, uh, they could not perfect, as he mentions that here in, uh, in these verses, they, they could not perfect the worshiper. Uh, in other words, they could not enable them to draw near. They could not put them in right relationship with God so that they could come into his presence. So they were inadequate in that way. Secondly, they could not remove their guilt. They couldn't remove their guilty conscience, and they couldn't take away their guilt. Thirdly, uh, their continual repetition served, and this passage is showing us this, their continual repetition was a memorial, if you will, of their inadequacy. Usually we have memorials to, for something good, right? Something accomplished. Well, in this case, these offerings were a memorial year after year on the Day of Atonement, but really day after day in all the sacrifices. They were a constant reminder that they could not cleanse sin because they had to continue to be offered. And, and so that's, that is what we see here. And again, day after day, year after year, these, these animals were slain, these sacrifices were offered. They could not change people inwardly. They could not uh, cleanse them from sin. In fact, verse 4, again, a key verse in the passage when he says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so they could not do that. They could not deal with people's greatest need. They couldn't do that. And again, we see in verses uh, 5 and 6, as we see Jesus' words here uh, from Psalm 40, as he is declaring uh, to the Father, uh, notice again in verse 5, he says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And again in verse 8, he says, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices 
in, and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. So he said the father did not desire, he didn't take pleasure in these sacrifices. And uh, he, again, he set these up to, once, as we've said, point to the need for a permanent and, and, and ultimate final sacrifice. So, so that may seem strange. First of all, we would, we would point out, of course, as, as, as Weiss, Kenneth Weiss says, he said, again, he did take pleasure in the fact that the sacrifices were offered since the act of offering them was in obedience to his will. But when it came to the place where they failed to pay for sin, God took no pleasure in them. They couldn't pay the sin, so they could not satisfy, if you will, God's holiness and God's wrath. And God knew that. And he established them for that very purpose. And of course, he also talks in Scripture about how he was not pleased with those offerings that were, were from, uh, from hearts that had no intent toward him and no desire to worship him and were simply an empty ritual. But Jesus came because, again, only he can take away our sin. He came not merely to be a great teacher, not merely to be a moral example as some so often like to point out, or, or he didn't come to merely establish a new religion. Many have done that. No, Jesus came to meet our greatest need, humanity's greatest need. Romans 5.12 tells us what that need is. He said, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. All across our world today, dear friend, regardless of the nation, regardless of the language, regardless of where people, we all have one thing in common, we're sinners. We're sinners uh, apart from Christ, separated from a holy God. And that is why we have a message that is for the entire world. Amen? We have the good news. Jesus came to take away our sin. Bulls and goats couldn't do that. Good works can't do that. Uh, church membership can't do that. Baptism can't do that. No, none of those things can do that. Only Jesus. He's the only one who could take away our sins. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, after he'd grown up in, in the home there uh, of, of Mary and, and his adoptive father, Joseph, he began his ministry somewhere around 30 years of age. And at the beginning of his ministry, you read that, that John the Baptist, who saw Jesus coming toward him, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Back there in verse 4, he said, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away. And that word is the, again, has the greatest emphasis in this passage. And again, it means to completely remove. Uh, Jesus uh, became fully God and fully human so that he could take away our sin. Those things couldn't do that. But John rightly pointed him out, the Lamb of God who can take away, who came for that purpose to remove our sin, not merely to, uh, you know, to gloss over it, not merely uh, to try to uh, help us, help God to overlook it. No, to completely remove our sin. That's what he did through, through the shedding of his blood. The first to hear the good news of Jesus' birth were those simple shepherds as we read. And, and of course, uh, some believe uh, that the sheep they were watching uh, may have been uh, those that were used in temple sacrifices. How fitting that they were the first to hear that the one who was to come, the Lamb of God, 
He alone could take away our sin. That's why Jesus came. Jesus said that's why he came, and that is exactly why he came. Second, notice Jesus came through the miracle of the incarnation. This passage points to that fact as well. We read here in verse 5, Jesus' words, when he came into the world, again, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And again, in verse 10, again, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus, again, declared that he was coming, that, that God, that he was going to be given a body, a, a literal, physical body. And that's exactly what happened. The word prepared here means material substance. Some people uh, teach wrongly that, that, again, on the cross, Jesus' body was just, a, he became a spirit or something, or that he wasn't literally a physical body. No, dear friend, Jesus had a literal, physical, human body. Again, uh, and, and again, the, the, the verb tense here is in the middle voice, which means the subject performs the action upon himself. Jesus is God. And again, he created his human body. And for the first time in eternity, God had a permanent physical body. In the Old Testament, there were what we call theophanies or Christophanies, where God would make an appearance. But at this point, in the miracle, the moment of conception in Mary's womb, God became fully human. And he still, Jesus still inhabits that human body. He now is in a glorified body, which of course we know the Bible says as believers one day we too will receive a glorified human body that will last forever. But his body was literal. And it happened in that moment that we celebrate in Christmas, again, that moment of the virgin conception and birth of Jesus. Luke one thirty five. and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, shadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. John summed up this verse, this truth, his uh, Christmas story in John is really a couple of verses. John 1, 1 and 1, 14. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, Jesus was God is what he's saying there. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What a wonderful miracle, the greatest miracle which has ever occurred. God, fully God, became fully human. Again, subject to hunger, pain, requiring sleep, Growing from birth to adulthood, the only thing different about Jesus' body is that his body was sinless. And that's what qualified him to go to the cross for us. He had no sin nature as we do. The miracle of the incarnation, again announced by the angel to the shepherds in, in Luke 2, 11. He said, for unto you, the angel said, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is literally Savior, Christ, who is the Lord. Again, Savior, again, speaks of why he came to, to save us. Again, as, as was announced, he will save his people from their sins. Christ speaks of the fact that he is the promised Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for, the one we've been looking for, the one who was promised, as, as was read in Isaiah 9 that Hunter read to us today. 
And again, he is Lord. He is fully God. And that is the one that Jesus declared he would be. And as, as he would come, he would come through the miracle of the incarnation. And he did just that. But thirdly, Jesus came in fulfillment of biblical prophecies. We see that really in the latter part of verse 7. When he says there, uh, he says, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Again, he's speaking here about the word of God, about these prophecies just that are, are written of him. And we've, we've uh, pointed out to you the wonderful uh, Emmaus Road experience when, when Jesus was walking with those disciples, not realizing who he was. And the Bible says he, he preached to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself because all the word of God is about Jesus. As Dr. Rogers used to say, it's a hymn book. It's all about him. And so again, uh, Jesus came fulfilling these biblical prophecies. And for example, when the angel announced Jesus' miraculous conception, he said in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And over and over again in the Gospels, we see uh, Jesus fulfilling the prophecies written of him in the Old Testament. I've heard that there's some 300 uh, prophecies concerning Jesus, uh, and, and many of those were fulfilled in his virgin birth, his conception and birth, Isaiah 7, 14, 9, 6, uh, uh, Micah 5, 2, others fulfilled in his death, uh, uh, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Hosea 6-2, Psalm 110, and others will be fulfilled in his second coming. And again, Jesus uh, is the star of all the Word of God. It is truly a book about Jesus. Uh, God gave the, the wise men that invitation to come and worship him. Most believe they're from Persia, previously Babylon. Uh, again, uh, a supernatural star inviting them to come, and, and uh, they came to worship Jesus at great expense and great danger, but uh, they came in, in obedience to him. And, uh, some believe maybe in, they had read Numbers 24-7. Some have also imagined that Daniel, who had been there, and along with his friends, who also were wise men, uh, had, could have influenced them. Uh, Numbers 24, 17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And of course, when they, when they arrived, uh, they came to Jerusalem. Here he is. They knew Jerusalem's the capital city, so they came, to the cap, uh, came there thinking they would, everybody would know surely about the one who's born king of the Jews. And uh, they came, and when they saw King Herod, uh, of course, he was greatly troubled, as were many, but he didn't let them know that. He, they, they said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? So, so uh, he, he called together the religious, Jewish religious leaders, and they knew immediately where he was to be born, right? They quoted Micah 5 too. Uh, to, he's to be born in, in Bethlehem. But you know, one of the sad things about that story is that there is no indication at all, even though they... they Quoted the scripture, knew the scripture, no indication they bothered to go see. None of them went out to visit. Again, because there, there was, they, they, they were 
outwardly religious, but they had no real relationship. And which just causes us to think today, there are many today who, who may be familiar with Scripture. And they know, and many today, who are, may, some may even read the, the Christmas story when they gather together during these days for Christmas. Uh, but is it possible? And could you be among those today who might be, believe about him, but you don't really trust in him? And he's not really your Lord and your Savior. Oh, dear friend, it's not enough just to know the facts. It's not enough just to know about him. You must know him. And the word of God points us. And Jesus came in fulfillment of these prophecies. And so, dear friend, I would urge you and call upon you to to trust the one who came. Not just know about him, but come to know him as Lord and Savior. But then let me just mention finally that Jesus came to obey God's will by dying for sin. In verses 7 through 10, again, Jesus said in verse 7, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And, uh, And so Jesus came for that very purpose. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the night uh, before Jesus was uh, fa- facing the, the, his death, there in tremendous, uh, tremendous, tremendous emotional and spiritual agony, knowing the not only the suffering that he would encounter, but again that he would become sin, that all of God's holy wrath and anger would be poured out upon him, that on that cross he would go through the agony of separation on our behalf. During that time, again, Jesus cried out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, as we read in this passage, totally submitted. He said, I came to do your will. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And this passage teaches us that the will of God was that he might suffer on our behalf. He came uh, to become the sin offering on our behalf. And, and again, uh, Jesus fulfilled that need that no one else could. The Father we've read in this passage was not pleased with the sacrifices uh, over, that were offered uh, uh, over and over again. Those could not satisfy his wrath. They could not, they could not pay that penalty for our sin But at the same time, in Isaiah 53.10, we read, But the Lord was pleased to crush him. He was pleased and satisfied with his sacrifice for our sin. Notice down to verse 10. The Bible says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This passage is showing us that, that through his obedience, through Jesus' obedience to the Father's will to offer himself up as the perfect Lamb of God, we have been sanctified. Now we typically think of, and, and this passage teaches this later as well, that, that sanctification is a process of becoming more and more like Christ. It's a process of growing in holiness, and that's true. But this also speaks of the positional Holiness that the Bible teaches that, the, that because when we repent of our sin and place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he makes us holy. He makes us acceptable to the Father. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, we are accepted in the beloved one. We're accepted to the Father because of what Jesus has done for us. 
So dear friend, as you think about celebrating Christmas, think about it in the full extent of why Jesus came. He came to die. He became to be that sacrifice for sin that no one else could fulfill. He came to fulfill all those sacrifices in order that we might be able to be declared holy, that we might be able to be made holy. Why? So that we can draw near to God. Because otherwise we cannot. Apart from Christ, if Jesus hadn't come, as we saw uh, in, in this passage earlier in Hebrews, that even the Old Testament saints were looking for Jesus. They too were dependent upon Jesus. They were looking ahead to him. They couldn't come to God without Jesus' sacrifice. We, could, we couldn't come to God today. We can't draw near to him. We couldn't know God had Jesus not come. But because he came, he has made us holy, declared us holy, made us holy, made it possible for us to draw near to him and to know him and to come near. The words here, once for all, in verse 10, are emphatic. His final words from the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished, literally paid in full. He was the final sacrificial lamb and his sacrifice again satisfied God's wrath for sinners from Adam forward to each one who repents of sin and places faith and trust in him. Think again about those shepherds. Those shepherds, again, as we've said, the first to hear the good news, which would surprise many because those shepherds were the lowliest. They were on the bottom of the social ladder, so to speak. They were considered uh, just unworthy uh, to give testimony and their, their, their uh, testimony was not considered reliable and therefore they couldn't even give testimony in, a court, in court. They were not allowed into the temple. They were considered unclean and yet they are the ones to whom God sent the message, the message of Jesus coming, the message of the gospel of why he came. What a good news. These, these who were not able to come near, he's saying through them, you can come near. Now you can draw near. You can come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ who will be this sacrifice who will be offered up. True of the wise men, Gentiles like us, like most of us at least, they, uh, Gentiles couldn't come near. They had the court of the Gentiles. They were on the outer, the outer part. But now through Jesus, the Bible says, those walls have been broken down. We can now draw near through the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth about why Jesus has come. Again, thinking about those participants in the Christmas story who welcomed Jesus' arrival. Each of them, I believe, was chosen because they and, and responded to the call of God because God knew that they would respond in, in, in a willingness to believe God, to take God at his word, and to obey him immediately, completely, uh, regardless of what the consequences might be. True of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as we see in her, her song, her total submission to the will of God, her obedient heart. True of Joseph, who as scripture says, took Mary to be his wife and kept her a virgin until after Jesus' birth and then named him Jesus. What a great privilege Joseph was given, just as the angel had told him to. True of the shepherds who went to see uh, Jesus, see that new Savior, Messiah, and then took the message 
that they had received from the angels and told others exactly what had been told them about who Jesus was. They faithfully obeyed uh, what they were told to do and, and in obedience to him. True of those wise men, once again, who, who came all, to all that great distance and brought and humbled themselves, though wealthy themselves, they humbled themselves in that uh, simple, humble place. And, and, and again, they left there, for, I believe, transformed, but they also went another way in obedience to what they had been told to do. Obedience, but then the greatest obedience of all the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was willing, as we've read, to humbly obey the Father, to become human, to leave, as the song sang this morning, to leave heaven and come to this earth and, 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 and to humble himself to the point of, of entering uh, Mary's womb and, and then to be born in such a humble circumstance. But most of all, as we read in Philippians 2.8, that he humbled himself to the point of death the death on the cross, the most, hum, the most humiliating form of death possible, crucifixion, but then becoming sin. He who knew no sin, becoming sin for us. That, dear friend, is what we celebrate at Christmas. He rose again. He's alive right now. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And as Hebrews reminds us over and over again, as our high priest, he's ever interceding on behalf of us, Jesus obeyed and the Father was pleased. The gospel, dear friend, requires a response of obedience. It requires a response of obedience. And we obey the hearing of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came, that we're accountable to God, that we are sinners separated from God, but that God in his grace in his son Jesus to die for us, we hear that gospel message and we must respond to that gospel message through repentance, turning away from our sin, no longer wanting sin uh, to dominate our lives, no longer wanting to be a slave of sin, no longer wanting to be separated from God because of our sin and turning to Jesus in faith and what he's done for us, surrendering to him as our Lord. We must obey the gospel. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? The Bible tells us there are consequences of not obeying the gospel. And this is a day of good news. We, we celebrate the good news. But I must tell you, dear friend, there are consequences of rejecting this good news. There are consequences of rejecting the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1, 89 says, Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So I bring good news today. But I also come to you in warning, if you reject this good news, if you harden your heart against God and you say no to him and reject the, the message of the gospel, the Bible says there is eternal consequences of separation from God for all eternity. So I want to invite you today, I want to plead with you today, turn from sin, trust in Christ, obey the gospel by responding to Jesus as your Lord. This past Friday, I had an, uh, an unexpected call uh, from uh, Pastor Thomas McGee to come to the Millington Airport to be available to, 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 to be a grief counselor to the families of a plane crash which occurred in Atlanta. Uh, but those uh, passengers were 
headed for Millington. And they crashed, and, and, and the three passengers and, and the pilot all perished on that flight. And, and I had the opportunity to be there, just to be available to them, to minister to them, to pray with them. Uh, and and, and I, I, it just caused me to be aware, uh, think about those families, those individuals, who as they put their, uh, said goodbye to their family members and kissed them goodbye and gave them a hug perhaps, and, and, and they, did, they had no idea that was going to be the last time they would see them, the last time they would give them a kiss, the last time they would give them a hug, the last time they would say, I love you. And, and they, they don't have that opportunity again, this side of heaven. And, and we don't know their hearts, but I can tell you, while I'm not at liberty to talk about the families and the individuals in that time, I just want to say to you, there's a difference between those, as scripture says, who sorrow as those who have no hope. And I can report to you about one family I, I ministered to that gave assurance and a testimony that their family member knew Christ, that their family is with the Lord. And dear friend, we want that for everyone. We want everyone to know that joy of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior and to be assured if you breathe your last, as so many have done in recent days, that you can have the assurance of knowing that to be absent from this physical body for a child of God who trust in Christ and Him alone, is to be present with the Lord. And you may say, well, what if I don't die? Then I want to say to you, as one pastor used to say, well, you need Jesus because you may live. And because, again, Jesus is the reason for life. Jesus is life. And apart from Him, there is no life. So I urge you today, turn from sin, trust in Christ, surrender to Him as your Lord and your Savior today. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, His death for you on the cross, and His resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions, or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.